You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. We keep talking on this show about how crazy expensive space missions are, and many of them have such short lifespans after all. So it does make you wonder if the value of each mission is really worth it sometimes. On the other side, there are some missions that defy the odds and continue well, well over their intended mission duration. Coming to mind are ones like Voyager 1 and 2, the Hubble telescope after a little bumpy road there, and now India's Chandrayaan-3 has made it into that elite list of missions that just keep giving. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. Today is December 5th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-minus. ISRO transitions the propulsion module of Chandrayaan-3 to Earth orbit. Satix-Fi and Virgin Galactic face market woes. Starship Test-3 gets an FCC license, and note that I said FCC. And our guests today are Iga Stokenberga, a senior economist in the World Bank's Transport Global Practice, and Baptiste Tripar, the chief marketing officer at Altea, on their use of Amazon Web Services to improve data in developing countries. Stay with us for that conversation at the end of the show. On to today's briefing now, and we start with some great news from the mission that had all of us in the industry cheering it on earlier this year. The Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, has announced that it has moved the propulsion module of Chandrayaan-3 from an orbit around the moon to an orbit around Earth. Yep, that mission is still ongoing. Just a little bit of a reminder here that Chandrayaan-3's main mission was a soft landing on the moon, which was, in case you don't remember, successfully achieved in August of this year. The Vikram lander made its historic touchdown on the lunar surface, and subsequently the Pragyan rover was deployed. The scientific instruments in the lander and rover were operated continuously for one lunar day, as per the defined mission life, and sadly went quiet after that. As for the propulsion module that carried the lander, 
It stayed in lunar orbit, and on board it carried the spectropolarimetry of habitable planet Earth, or SHAPE, payload. Bit of a mouthful. The initial plan was to operate this payload for about three months during the mission life of the propulsion module, but the Indian Space Agency found that there were over 100 kilos of fuel left over after one month of operations in the lunar orbit. So, ISRO decided to use the available fuel in the module to derive additional information for future lunar missions and demonstrate the mission operation strategies for a sample return mission. ISRO decided to reorbit the propulsion module to a suitable Earth orbit so the payload could continue Earth observations. The vehicle began its return in October and entered Earth's orbit in November. The SHAPE payload is being operated whenever Earth is in its field of view, and ISRO says operations will continue further. Chandrayaan-3 really is the mission that keeps on giving. Israeli space company Satix-5 is facing financial difficulties. The company has bases in the UK, US, and Bulgaria, and is at risk of being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange because its market cap fell below $50 million. The company says it received written notice from the New York Stock Exchange, or NYSC, stating that the company is not in compliance with the continued listing standards as set forth in the NYSC American Company Guide. And we're going to mostly paraphrase some of the guidelines here, so strap in for this one. In order to maintain its listing, Setix Phi must submit a plan of compliance within a 30-day deadline after its receipt of the notice, addressing how it intends to regain compliance with the applicable listing standards by May 30th of 2025. If their plan is accepted, Satisfy may be able to continue its listing and will be subject to periodic reviews by the NYSE. But if their plan is not accepted, or if it is accepted but the company is not in compliance with the continued listing standards by May 30th, 2025, or if the company does not make progress consistent with the plan, the NYSE American will initiate delisting procedures as appropriate. NYSE, nice or not so nice. And another company facing financial uncertainty is Virgin Galactic, after its founder, Richard Branson, announced that he has no plans to invest more money in the company. Branson said Virgin Galactic has, quote, sufficient funds already in stock, but the space tourism company took a 16% tumble after his statement. Virgin Galactic also recently announced layoffs and a reduction in flights for the next year as it focuses on the next generation of space planes. There are exciting headlines, and then there's SpaceX Starship Test 3 getting partly licensed. Okay, we can't get too excited because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the vehicle has only received its communications permissions from the FCC. They still need other agencies, like the FAA, to sign on for another launch. The license covers a period from December 1st to January 6th, 2024. The issued license covers communications for a launch from SpaceX's Starbase in Texas and includes a first-stage booster, quote, with a soft water landing. The FAA is yet to conclude its investigation into the mishap from Starship's second launch in November. Space-based data, analytics, and space services company Spire Global has been awarded a space services contract by Lacuna Space, a satellite IoT connectivity provider. Under the agreement, Spire will initially build and launch six satellites carrying Lacuna Space's payload and antenna 
with the opportunity to scale the constellation to dozens of satellites. Lacuna Space will operate its payloads and receive encrypted data at its Harwell headquarters. Spire Global says it will manufacture the six satellites at its facility in Glasgow, UK, and no financial details were disclosed. The UK's Science and Technology Secretary Michelle Donnellan has been visiting Brussels to maximize UK involvement in the European Space Agency's Horizon and Copernicus programs. The UK says it has reached a deal with its European partners that will create and support thousands of new jobs as part of the next generation of research talent. UK researchers, academics, and businesses of all sizes can confidently bid for a share of the more than 80 billion pounds available through the two programs, with calls for the 2024 work program already open. The UK will also participate in the Copernicus component of the EU space program. This will provide the UK's Earth observation sector with access to data and with the ability to bid for contracts, which we should note they haven't been able to access for three years. The Tunisian Space Association, known as TUNSA, has been awarded over 1 million euros in Horizon Europe space funding from the European Union Agency for the Space Program, or USPA, along with European partners. The funding is for the project proposal UDENI, Copernicus Data for Urban Development in Europe and North Africa. The UDENI project aims to use large amounts of Earth observation data from Copernicus satellites and local sources to support evidence-based decision-making for urban development, especially in international partner countries. To support the UN Sustainable Development Goal 11 of making cities safe, resilient, and sustainable, the project will essentially create a virtual laboratory for urban planners and visionaries to test their development ideas. Multidimensional models of urban areas across time and across countries will be used to support urban planners in exploring natural occurrences of similar development ideas, concepts, or projects in similar urban areas. And we'll be hearing more about a similar project with the World Bank in our interview in the second part of our show today. The European Space Agency has selected Eleknor Demos to lead the Horizon Europe Cassini IOD IOV IHE 11 CubeSat mission. Whew. Cassini IHE 11 mission is part of the Horizon Europe in orbit demonstration and validation program, known as the IOD IOV which aims to advance the European space sector by showcasing cutting-edge technologies in orbit. And Demos will be in charge of overseeing the implementation of the IOD-IOV projects, which includes the delivery of two CubeSat missions housing a range of experiments pre-selected by the European Commission. And these CubeSats are scheduled for launch in 2025. And there's another new partnership at the COP28 conference at the United Arab Emirates, which saw the Rwanda Space Agency signing a Memorandum of Understanding with the UAE Space Agency to establish collaboration frameworks in civil space activities. The two nations aim to foster research and development and space technologies, to share geospatial data, and to initiate joint space sector projects. And that concludes our roundup of the headlines for today. We've included links to further reading on all the stories that we've mentioned, and we've included a few extra for you. The first is on drug companies looking to space. 
Another's an interview with Boeing CEO on getting astronauts on Starliner. And a third is on oxygen in space. All these stories and more can be found at space.n2k.com and click on this episode title. Hey, T-Minus crew, if you're just joining us, be sure to follow T-Minus Space Daily in your favorite podcast app. And also, if you could do us a favor, share this show with your friends and coworkers. So here's a little challenge for you. By Friday, please share T-Minus Space Daily with three friends or coworkers. That's because a growing audience is the most important thing for us, and we would really love your help as part of the T-Minus crew. So if you find T-Minus useful, and of course we really hope you do, please share it so other professionals like you can find the show. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me and to all of us here at T-Minus. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Our guests on the show today are Iga Stokenberga who is a senior economist in the World Bank's Transport Global Practice, and Baptiste Tripar, the chief marketing officer at Altea. Now, this is a short clip of our chat, and it's part of our AWS in Orbit series. In it, we explore how Altea and the World Bank are using AWS cloud, AI, and space capabilities all together to monitor critical road networks at scale to support large-scale infrastructure investments. From road networks to bridges, they share real-world applications that are making a difference in emerging economies. Baptiste Tripard is the Chief Marketing Officer at Altea. Aiga Stogenberga is the Senior Transport Economist at the World Bank. We explore how Altea and the World Bank are leveraging AWS's cloud, AI, and space capabilities to monitor critical road networks at scale to support large-scale infrastructure investments. From road networks to bridges, they share real-world applications that are making a difference in emerging economies. My name is Aiga Stockenberg. I'm a senior transport economist at the World Bank. Um, I work on the Latin America region currently, but also support the global transport team on various knowledge products. Aiga, why don't we start with the problem the World Bank was working on and trying to solve, if you could set the stage for us there. Sure. I mean, so the, the, there's kind of the big picture problems we, we try to solve, which is um, 
reducing poverty and increasing shared prosperity. And now we, we have expanded our mission to also add on a livable planet. So the, the climate aspects are becoming much more central in everything we do in terms of both resilience, which is much more relevant for many of the poorest countries we work on. And then um, in terms of decarbonization and transport is a one of the main uh, contributors to, to to carbon emissions in many countries, and especially in Latin America, which is a very urbanized region. Uh, transport is uh, one of the main uh, contributors. And so so everything we work on is it has to be kind of through this climate lens, if you will. Um, and so, I mean, the World Bank works on two main kinds of uh, types of work. One is um, uh, investment lending, which is the bulk of what we do. Um, and infrastructure accounts for about a quarter of all of our lending. So both transport, but also energy and digital development. Um, and so that means basically helping governments prepare projects, um, finance those projects, help implement them. This can range in transport. It can range from uh, rural roads, interurban roads, ports, um, mass mass transit in cities, etc. Um, and so, and then the other type of work we do is is really sort of like the knowledge creation and, and an analytics. And uh, so the the problem that we face is usually um, in investment lending projects. It's it's the lack of data at the scale of a country that would allow us to uh, advise the government and how to even prioritize those investments. Um, later on in project preparation, there's, uh, you know, there's much more money going into actually collecting data, but at the, st at the stage of sort of just, um, you know, what do we even need to, to do to, to achieve the mission of reducing poverty and increasing shared prosperity on a livable planet? Like what is, we, we really lack the data at the scale of a country on, on the quantity and the quality of the infrastructure assets that the country has. Thank you for setting the stage there. So now we have a good understanding of what the problem is that we're trying to solve. So it feels like a good time to bring in our second speaker, Baptiste, on how to go about doing that. Uh, Baptiste, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is uh, Baptiste Tripart, and I work at Altea as a CMO, Chief Marketing Officer. And uh, my background is in uh, aerospace engineering, so everything related to aircraft design. Uh, that led me to design drones back in the 2010s and now working in the field of uh, software development and artificial intelligence. Thanks, Baptiste. So to start off, perhaps could you uh, give us a bit of context on how you learned how aerial imagery could really change how people do business? Back to the, the 2010s, um, I got involved in the, what, what's called kind of uh, spatial computing now. Um, as I said, when I started uh, building commercial drones for different types of applications, and um, the idea was uh, back then to um, uh, start using small um, unmanned devices equipped with uh, consumer cameras to take high-resolution uh, pictures from the sky. And um, it used to be, and it still is, uh, highly valuable for many different types of uh, applications ranging from agriculture to um, uh, construction, but also, as you mentioned, some uh, conservation projects. Uh, one of the highlights of uh, that uh, time was to um, uh, do a mission in Antarctica to uh, take aerial images from uh, penguin populations and understand from uh, the sky 
how climate change had an impact on uh, the way they all behave together and where they're going. And, you know, like, I think it's kind of like uh, fundamental for, for the topic we're uh, discussing today. Um, at that time, it really opened our eyes, uh, understand like the value of remote sensing for uh, anybody really, uh, from uh, archaeologists, conservationists to uh, uh, larger organizations like the World Bank. So what changed from uh, 2010 to now is um, all the developments that happen, you know, in the field of uh, uh, geospatial and uh, cloud technology. And um, what used to be uh, available at the very narrow scale with uh, the drone business is now, you know, um, um, available at a much larger scale, uh, almost in near real time. You know, you just click uh, on a, a button on the AWS Open Data Registry and you access like infinite amount of satellite imagery. And so you have kind of like that uh, uh, technology breakthrough, uh, public initiatives like uh, the Copernicus project um, in Europe to uh, map uh, with uh, satellites, you know, the entire Earth uh, uh, every, uh, I think it's every week, or even like private initiatives funded by uh, investment companies and fueled by uh, private organizations like Planet or Satellogic that now launch uh, in the sky uh, satellites that are the size of a shoebox. So all of that kind of like connects to a point where uh, data is uh, much more available uh, in near real time and can be processed very easily thanks to uh, the AWS infrastructure. So you were speaking a bit about AWS, uh, and I wanted to ask a bit about how AI also comes into the picture here and how Altea uses both AWS and AI. Well, so, so and I'll start with that, you know, and, and Aiga um, um, highlighted it as well. Um, uh, data or access to data um, is paving the way for um, what I would call a smarter and more sustainable uh, future, right? So... We have that uh, very beautiful synergy between technology and, and the planet. But the, the problem is, you know, uh, there is a notion of uh, data out there. And this is really hard to transform that data into uh, information, uh, something that has a value for an organization. And uh, because uh, we have uh, so much data available, it's not possible, or at least really difficult, uh, both from an operational but also, you know, a financial standpoint, uh, to not automate some of those processes. And that's where I think the combination of uh, artificial intelligence and um, cloud computing comes into play. A AI is not a new technology. I mean, it was available already in the 70s. However, it consumes a lot of computing power and it's really that combination that makes it so powerful today. And uh, this is where uh, Altea is standing, you know. Uh, what we do is uh, we allow uh, organizations to produce uh, real-time information from uh, that ocean of data that is out there 
uh, leveraging both uh, AI models and uh, cloud technology. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to switch to Aiga now. Um, so we've been speaking a bit at length about Batiste and uh, Altea Solution. So I'd love to know how the World Bank, uh, kind of how you met, essentially, and <laughs> how you, you uh, realized that there was um, a, a, a solution here that, that you, you both could work on. In, in our case, there was a very specific uh, ask from our clients. So um, there's sort of like a cascade of, of uh, you know, working together as being uh, Altea's clients and then uh, obviously the World Bank responds to governments. And uh, in the case of Peru, uh, which is one of the countries I work on, we are we're being asked to prepare essentially the next generation of rural roads projects uh, or programs. Peru has a long history of of very successful rural roads investment programs that have uh, had really significant impacts on rural poverty reduction, et cetera. But they're looking for season of roads uh, projects that would be at, at an even bigger scale and that would have uh, more robust prioritization criteria built in. And so th this is sort of where the bold bank comes in because, you know, we don't just come with money. We, we're supposed to come with increasingly more knowledge, uh, analytics. And for that, we really needed this at scale uh, information on where are the roads and what are uh, sort of what's their conditions to, able, to be able to advise the government. Um, at the same time, uh, I was working in Mexico, which is, um, you know, uh, another country where we lack that kind of data. And even though we don't have a project right now, uh, the government is looking for technical assistance in helping to design um, an asset recycling strategy. So it's essentially advising how to use the, the road assets that the government manages at different levels. So it can be the federal or the state governments. To, to generate revenues from those assets. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with toll roads, but this is just one way of that this could be done. Uh, but obviously for that to be to happen, you need you need to know what assets you're managing. And uh, even a country, the you know, the level of sophistication and, and income of Mexico um, honestly doesn't have that information at the scale needed. And so um, we were basically looking for various solutions that we could think of and and um, the World Bank um, my, my engineer colleagues are very familiar with the, kind of the traditional ways of surveying road assets. Uh, you d literally drive with a car with a, with a GoPro camera and another type of camera and you, you record the, ro the roads. And um, as you can imagine, this is the take uh, about a century if you're trying to cover the road network of Mexico or Peru. Um, and so um, basically we, we started looking around to, to, to try to find a, a solution that is Leveraging um, satellite imagery, but doesn't cost, um, you know, what what I've seen uh, these kinds of projects cost in other regions where I've worked, where if you're thinking of leveraging high resolution imagery, um, you know, this can easily spiral out of control in terms of, you know, the, the cost. And um, we, were we were trying to find a solution that, you know, we could apply not only in Peru and Mexico, but also potentially sort of develop a blueprint that can, you know, the methodological blueprint blueprint that could serve um, uh, other countries' needs as well and could be potentially scaled to even, you know, the world, uh, all the clients where we work in. Um, so I, I had some support from the global transport team uh, in the World Bank, which is more sort of the, the knowledge generation uh, hub um, and, uh, you know, typically supports these sort of like global knowledge initiatives and uh, uh, basically <laughs> created a a, a coalition of, of people who are really looking for the solution and, and we were able to, 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 we were connected with Altea through the, um, 
through the chief economist's office at the World Bank, who had also been thinking about this topic, more from the analytical and knowledge creation perspective, because they are always looking for great data and comparable data across countries to be able to do statistical analyses, uh, how transport connectivity um, affect incomes or poverty, et cetera. And so it was kind of this um, lucky um, confluence of, of, um, of needs. And in the end, we were able to, to develop something that worked. But in, in the beginning, I wouldn't say that we, we um, you know, we were buying a solution that was ready. We were, we were sort of ready to work on the solution with, with Altea, knowing what they had in mind. It sounded uh, very promising. And, um, and I think that that's what happened. It was sort of uh, working together on the solution for, for a couple of months. Be sure to join us for our AWS in Orbit third episode airing on Saturday to hear the conversation with Aiga and Baptiste in full. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. Space domain awareness, so hot right now, and we're all here for it. So how do we clean up all that space junk that we have whizzing around the Earth? Well, many a smart folk has figured out how to capture and remove large debris, but it's those tricky, tiny micro pieces that have the industry scratching its heads. But it seems that maybe we're on the precipice of a breakthrough on that conundrum. And that's because a new group led by the University of Michigan believes that they have made a breakthrough in methods for tracking micropieces, and those would be the ones that are smaller than 10 centimeters across, by spotting electrical pulses created when they crash into each other. The team believes that some radio antennae, like NASA's Deep Space Network system, could be sensitive enough to measure the signals produced by small items colliding. The researchers are still figuring out the characteristics of these signals by simulating different impact scenarios in computer models. They eventually want to perform real experiments and incite collisions between bits of space junk, hmm, of different sizes and speeds. The team will be sharing their research at the second International Orbital Debris Conference, which is currently being held in Texas this week. With reportedly over 100 million objects larger than a millimeter in size, currently orbiting around our planet, and less than 1% of the debris capable of damaging spacecraft actively being monitored, there is a heck of a gap there, and we can only hope and pray that this method works, that they start figuring out how to clean up the space junk, and soon. That's it for T-Minus for December 5th, 2023. 
For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. With original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. T-minus.